Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of All the Hard Things. This episode is a spin a spinny spin on a previous one that we did with my friend Molly about what recovery looks like when you have OCD and anxiety. So I'll be sure to post in the show notes that other episode where I brought my friend Molly on. She has OCD. She's an advocate. And we talked about what it looks like for her. Um, It was a great episode. And we're going to take things a step further today. And uh, I'll talk to you a little bit more about my perspective when it comes to OCD and anxiety recovery, um, because I get it a lot. It's one of my most commonly asked questions, what does recovery look like? And I think it's really important to have realistic expectations, but also like don't don't undershoot yourself and don't overshoot it, right? Like we want to have kind of a realistic expectation of what to believe is possible for you after all of this hard work. Um, And I think it will be more exciting and more optimistic than you probably are expecting, right? So while there is a lot of back and forth, right? Like there's a lot of back and forth in our field kind of about, you know, there's no cure for OCD and OCD is chronic and, um, you know, you can't recover from OCD. What does that mean? You're going to have it forever. I think a lot of it is in semantics. I think what people are all arguing about, they actually are much more in agreement with each other than they probably think, but it's getting lost in the semantics of it all. And so my belief is that you can get to a point where you no longer meet diagnostic criteria for OCD. So when it comes to diagnostic criteria, we look for, you have to have obsessions, you have to have compulsions, And you obviously have the disordered piece, right? Like you do with most mental illnesses, right? There's a distress and impairment aspect. So you have obsessions, which are intrusive and unwanted thoughts, ideas, images, impulses, feelings, or um, kind of sensations. And then we have compulsions, which are these observable or non-observable, i.e. behavioral or mental acts that you do to either neutralize or negate or otherwise deal with the anxiety that you feel as a result of the obsession. So um, we have the obsessions, compulsions, but then we also have this disordered piece, right? You can definitely have obsessions. You can definitely have compulsions and still not necessarily meet criteria for the disordered piece of it. So in order to meet 
the D part, the disordered piece of it, you would have to experience distress and impairment. So distress is just meaning that these experiences are causing you distress in your life. It's causing distress to you and other people in your life and that you are essentially wanting to change it, which I would assume that you are if you're seeking out a diagnosis in the first place, or if you're in a situation where you are needing or about to be getting a diagnosis, right? Talking to a therapist or your doctor, but then we also need impairment. So there has to be some way in which your life has been impaired or impacted by OCD. So your sleep, your eating, your ability to go to work, just your ability to live life the way that you want to, right? There's not really like, a, oh, your life isn't impaired enough or, oh, you're not distressed enough, right? Um, I think OCD can be tricky in that way. We kind of doubt that. Again, OCD is the doubt disorder. So a lot of us will doubt even whether we have OCD, we'll doubt whether we have OCD enough. Um, and then one more objective piece of criteria that is technically within the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual or the DSM is that these experiences take up an hour or more a day. Now, I will be honest with you, like if I've already made the connection that I believe that this person has OCD, I believe that I can help them with my evidence-based strategies, I'm not going to go through and ask them specifically if they believe that their obsessions and or compulsions take up an hour plus a day. I think that is really difficult to quantify, especially when we're talking about things like mental compulsions or avoidance. And it's really hard to quantify because I don't expect them to know coming to me for the first time necessarily what their obsessions even are. So maybe they come to session and they tell me for the first time that they're struggling with hit and run OCD, but they don't realize that people pleasing is another aspect that they've been struggling with. Maybe they didn't think that that had anything to do with OCD. So when they're telling me if I were to even ask them, they probably wouldn't even have that in their mind as something that we could quantify together. And so I don't want that to be something that Oh, well, I think this only really takes me 30 minutes a day. Well, I wonder if it really took more if we were to do that big digging, right? So I'm always looking more at, does it cause you distress and impairment? So my belief and why I thought it was important to go over that diagnostic criteria, I believe that you can get to a point where you no longer meet diagnostic criteria. I believe that you can get to a point where you no longer have distress and impairment and heck yeah, whatever, right? Like that you can even get to the point where it doesn't take up an hour plus a day. So the reality is, is that we're never going to be free 100% from intrusive thoughts. It's just something about our brains. Our brains are, as a human species, we are so complicated. We are so um, elevated as a species. We have a lot of creative ideas. We make airplanes. We are on like the iPhone 57 or whatever the heck we're on right now. We have access to a lot of intricate thought processes that aren't necessarily rooted in reality. And gr great news for that, right? Like that's why we're able to be so innovative and come up with all these awesome things that we're able to enjoy all the time, right? But they also get complicated. So sometimes those thoughts are really great and they come in the form of, oh my gosh, that's a great idea for my business. Sometimes they come in the form of, oh my gosh, what if you threw your baby down the stairs? And it's just our brains going a little bit haywire. It's just a thought popping up where we go haywire with OCD is we tend to interpret that thought as being significant somehow. So that thought is our responsibility. I must have wanted that thought because I had that thought, so on and so forth. And I think sometimes when we 
go into this OCD and anxiety recovery, we want to just get rid of our bad thoughts, right? And even in that, we're kind of judging the thoughts as being bad. Um, and in that way, we're engaging with it and we're making it worse. So it can get complicated, right? So I, just as a side note to kind of illustrate this point, I used to have really, really awful nightmares. And um, I've always had really bad nightmares since I was a kid. Um to the point where I, one day I looked up, like there has to be some type of medication to get rid of nightmares. Right. Um, and I thought, how cool would that be to just be able to take a medication and like be done with it. Right. Uh, and of course I believe that there are some, I believe I found something. I didn't look too, too far into it though, because it basically stopped you from having dreams at all. And I didn't like that because I actually have some really cool dreams sometimes too. Um, I have some dreams, you know, I had a dream once that I was dancing with Eli at his wedding. I had, a, I have a couple dreams every now and then like that. I'm back in college with all of my best friends, um, dreams of like my husband and I, when we're old and we're on, uh, you know, like traveling together, it's really, they're really cool. Right. I don't want to get rid of my good dreams because I have to feel like I want to get rid of the bad ones. Right. So I don't want to get rid of it all. But our, our, our thoughts are kind of the same way. Like you can't really get rid of the bad ones unless you also want to get rid of the good ones. Um, and we can't do that either, right? So of course we can make those scary parts more tame and we can temper them down and we can change our reaction to them so that we can live our life. But this is not an issue of us having a bad brain or a broken brain. It's a matter of us having a more expansive brain. Um, and so I believe... The concept was taken from one of John Hirschfield's books. Um, John Hirschfield is great. I will try to find this and link it for you guys in the show notes, but it's essentially this concept. Um, and Laura Johnson, she is OCD doodles on Instagram. She did a really great job of actually uh, illustrating this concept into a doodle on her Instagram. Um, and it was a, essentially about like books on a shelf, right? Like we all as humans, we have access to books on a shelf and, um, you know, when you have OCD, your flashlight is just a little bit more expansive as far as like the books that you can see on that shelf. Um, and so it's not that, you know, we only see the bad stuff. We also probably see a lot of other cool things too. And I think that's why people who have OCD and research supports this, right? That they generally have a higher IQ. They're generally more creative. They're more empathic. They're more intuitive, right? Um, and so I think sometimes we forget that we have we don't just have access to more bad thoughts than the average population. We also have access to probably a lot of other good parts of our brain too. Our brains aren't bad; they're just really complex. Um, and this is an analogy uh, I came up with, and I want to trademark it because it's absolutely um, amazing. I think of it like <clears throat> a box of crayons. So I think of people like if you don't have OCD, um, just as an example, I think. When you don't have OCD, like my husband, for instance, he is like the opposite of OCD. He's so unflappable. He just is living for the moment, like day to day, you know, the thought of anything scary happening. He's like, I'll deal with it when it happens. And he's just very chill, right? Um, I, this has nothing to do with intelligence, <laughs> but uh, I think that as far as like the creativity, creativity of, of their thought processes, right? And like the expansiveness of their thought processes and how wild they can go and kind of what outliers they are able to grasp when it comes to like the creativity of the thought. Um, 
I think they're operating kind of on like a 10 count box of crayons. They have the black, they have the white, the red, the the blue, the green, the, the basics that you would need to get by. And like, sometimes it's all you need, right? And that's great. That's lovely. That's absolutely wonderful. When you have OCD, right? When we're cut, when we're talking about the creativity of the thought and the color of our thoughts, right? We're operating on like a 160 count box of crayons, like whatever is the biggest count box of crayons that you could possibly imagine. So we don't just have the basics. We have the really, really dark and gloomy grays. We have the really, really scary, just like pulsing reds. Um, we have the deep, dark blues and the sadness and the regrets, right? Like, but, and, and I think sometimes we can, for we we only focus on that. We only think of, oh my gosh, I have all these dark thoughts that no one else has. Um, but we're also forgetting like, yeah. And in this really big box, we also have like lavender. We have macaroni and cheese, orange, we have pinks, right? We have like the coolest lime greens ever. Um, and so that's not to say again, that like, you know, that, you know, you just have to kind of live with it. But it is the fact that like your brains aren't bad. They're just complex. And you don't just have access to more bad thoughts. You have access to a wider range of thoughts than people on an average everyday basis do. So you can still have a really great life. It's not about the thoughts. It's all in your reactions to the thoughts. So we want you as a, just a human, right? Like with or without OCD, I want people to be making and spending their time making decisions based on what you want and what their values are telling them to do, not what fear is telling them to do. So recovery to me is all about that. Recovery to me is all about not necessarily the presence or absence of these thoughts, but more so in your ownership and your agency about um, you know, just managing your reactions to the thoughts. Are you still able to live your life and do the things that you want and need to do in your life, regardless of whatever is kind of pre, you know, preoccupying internally? Are you able to make decisions based on what you want, based on what you value rather than fear? Are you willing to be uncomfortable and go and do things anyway? Are you able to go after what it is that you want kind of as a non-negotiable regardless of the fear? So the word non-negotiable kind of comes up for me a lot. So I, <clears throat> last year, I was lucky enough, and I've done it before, but never in this capacity. Last year in 2022, I was lucky enough to get chosen. I was a speaker at the International OCD Foundation Conference, which is like a childhood dream of mine. I've done it before, but never in this way with something that I had owned, that I was the lead presenter on, it was a really big deal for me. And as much as I speak publicly and as much as I am comfortable with this content, it's still obviously freaking anxiety provoking getting in front of a huge room of your professional peers and all these other people, right? Like it is very, very scary. Um, and so what was that? I mean, that was a non-negotiable for me. As much as every ounce in my body was shaking, I was shaking before I made a joke at the podium, like how I was, my voice was shaking and I was sweating, uh, but it was non-negotiable. I wasn't not going to do that. I wasn't not going to present. There was no way in hell that I was ever going to turn away and not do that thing. Um, so find these things that you love and regardless of the fear, do it because what you want and what you want to do, they're non-negotiables. Another example, right? Another IOCDF thing this year in 2023, I'm lucky enough I'm on four. I'm on four different presentations. I have to leave Eli for like four whole days. I've never been away from my son for that long. It's actually really scary for me to be away from him. I always have this fear that, 
you know, when I'm on my deathbed, 50 plus years from now, I'm going to regret being away from him. I've missed out on friends' birthday parties. I've missed out on girls' nights. I've missed out on seeing my family. I've missed out on so much because it's hard for me to be away from Eli. Even yesterday, my husband took him to a restaurant and they just had a day like at Chuck E. Cheese. And I felt so bad because I felt like I should be with him. I should be going. I'm going to regret this on my deathbed if I don't go, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't want to go. I had a lot of other things to do and I just didn't feel well. And so what I wanted to do was stay home and rest. What fear was telling me to do was to go and be with Eli just because, right? And it wouldn't have been because I would have been having fun or that I wanted to. It would have been out of fear that if I didn't, I would be on my deathbed 50, 60 years from now and be regretting it. I don't want to live my life like that. (laughs) I don't want to live my life according to this like flashing forward of my worst fear possible. And it's like, again, back to the non-negotiable piece. What am I going to do? Not go to California and speak at this huge event that's really important for me personally and professionally? No. Like, what am I going to do? Just stay home and let OCD win and take away that huge opportunity for me? No, it's non-negotiable. So you do have to be on the lookout when you have OCD and anxiety and you're in recovery, right? Like you have to be on the lookout you will still have to kind of live this lifestyle of doing exposures and resisting rituals, putting yourself outside of your comfort zone, resisting and reducing the safety behaviors that you would typically want to do to make yourself feel better. Now, it's not to say that you have to be hypervigilant 24-7. You do have to, though, nurture your recovery and kind of be on the lookout. Um, I believe it was Jonathan Grayson at an IOCDF conference where he made the analogy that OCD and anxiety recovery is kind of like a flower bed. If you don't care for it, it's going to grow weeds, right? And the more that you don't take care of it, the more weeds you're going to get and the harder it is to going to be to kind of get back to where it was that you wanted it. So you take care of that garden by implementing the big picture of ERP. You have to continue to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. You have to continue to reduce and actively resist behaviors that fear is otherwise telling you to do. And again, it's not necessarily an, oh my gosh, how many hours a day do I do exposures? How many exposures should I do a day? Um, obviously, you can talk to a professional about that for your own unique individualized recommendations, but it's more important that you're making it a lifestyle. It's more important that you are implementing the big abstract picture of exposure and response prevention. And if you do that, recovery is 100% possible. So even the studies that show that ERP isn't 100% effective, like, oh, it only works for three out of every four people, blah, blah, blah. I have some concerns about that. I know that nothing is perfect, but I do believe in the big picture, like more abstract concepts here of ERP. Um, So even in those situations, right, like when ERP isn't effective for everybody, it's like, well, what was the quality of their therapist? Did they actually have a therapist who was trained in and had specialization in treating mental compulsions? Were they able to address comorbid conditions? Were they addressing really subtle compulsions? Were they doing work with core fears, right? Like I believe so much in doing core fear work. Were they actually doing response prevention? Was that person actually engaging in response prevention? Were they resisting their compulsions? Because if they weren't doing the RP, they weren't doing ERP, right? You can't just do exposures and not do the RP piece. So I truly, truly believe in this treatment modality, especially when you look at it from the big picture. It can work for most people, Nothing is perfect, but I believe in the concepts so much. And I just believe that recovery is 100% possible for you. So big picture here, 
you will always have the O. You are always going to have the C too, because we all do things that are, um, you know, not great choices for us when it comes to anxiety. We all avoid things every once in a while. And research shows that we all have intrusive thoughts, right? Research shows that no matter where you're at in the whole entire world, regardless of your socioeconomic status, you have intrusive thoughts. So my opinion at the end of the day, you can absolutely recover from OCD. I don't think that you can cure OCD, but cure to me means that you just like take a pill and it's gone and you don't ever have to worry about it again. So no, you can't cure it, but that's not to say that you can't get to a place where you can no longer meet diagnostic criteria. You can still live a completely badass and totally amazing life even after you have OCD and after you've done all this work. Um, so don't sell yourself short. I hear people so often saying things like, I just want to get back to where I was before my brain broke. And that makes me really sad because I, I, I get it. Like I've been there before myself for sure. Just wanting to go back to where you were, where you were, where you feel like it's so close and you just want to like get back to being that person and feeling that way before your brain broke or before you started to have your intrusive thoughts. And I just want to remind you that it can be so much better than that. Like, let's not go back. Let's go forward. We can be so much better than where it was. We can learn to leverage all of these things in our life and just have the biggest, most bold, most badass life ever. I promise you. So if this seems up your alley, if you're listening to this, um, Still, when it's about time or close to the release, you have a couple days left where you can still sign up for my Get Empowered Masterclass with Drew Lintzelotta, otherwise known as The Anxious Truth. That is taking place live on May 19th, 2023. But don't worry, even if you miss it, it's going to be available on my website. Everything will be listed for you in the show notes. Uh, I have other masterclasses that are available for you. So if you want to learn more about the OCD and anxiety cycle, if you want to learn more about exposure and response prevention. There are so many resources there for you, not to mention a free newsletter and a free PDF download. It's called Imagine Your Recovered Life. It will be delivered to your inbox right away. And it's just awesome. So many awesome resources for you that'll help you feeling empowered, help you feeling like you have practical, tangible steps that you can take right now with or without a therapist. So head to the show notes. Everything will be in there. My hope for all of you after this episode is that you work a little bit more towards that acceptance that we will never, never, ever, ever get rid of the O. We can't ever get rid of the obsessions. We can certainly get rid of the distress and the impairment that they cause, but it's going to take a lot of work and you absolutely 100% can get there. So I hope that this was helpful. Again, check out the show notes for some more resources. And until next time, you guys keep doing all the hard things. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.